So as we continue in our sermon series, Walking the Footsteps of Faith with Abram and Sarah, we're continuing in chapter 15 this morning. Last week we looked at the beginning of that chapter and the very important promise that God gave to Abram, the promise that is sealed in the covenant ceremony that we'll read of. Um, We'll remember that Abram believed the promise of the Lord. It was credited to him as righteousness, that amazing claim from verse 6. And so I'll invite you to turn to page 10 in Genesis, chapter 15. We'll read verses 7 through 21. Let us hear now the word of the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions." As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a strange ritual. A heifer, a goat, a ram, all sacrificial animals, along with a turtle dove and a young pigeon, just for good measure. The Lord tells Abram, go and collect these animals. And I imagine it takes the better part of the day for him to do so. And then it it seems as though Abram doesn't need any more instruction. He knows exactly what to do. He he butchers the four-legged animals. Imagine that scene, blood pouring on the ground. And he lays them out in in two rows while vultures circle and dive and he has to shoo them away. What in the world could such a strange scene have in store for Abram and Sarai and for you and for me? Verse 7, God said, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land possess. Great words of encouragement and and solidarity that God has with his people. But 
To the Israelites who first heard those words, their ears would be ringing. It would call to mind that scene at Mount Sinai when God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments. In fact, there are many parallels between this scene in Genesis 15 and that scene in Exodus 20. The Lord says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Parallels go throughout this passage, 430 years in the making of of God's plans for his people, that they would possess the promised land and they would be sent away for a time, but God would shoo away their enemies. Great words of promise. But Abram has a question. And it's not quite the same question he had last week that we looked at. That question was answered. This one is more a question of clarification. In a sense, he says, O Lord, how am I able to know that I will possess this land of promise for myself and my descendants? How how can I know, in a sense, that history will turn out as you say it will? Now, the word of the Lord should have been enough, but we should be charitable for Abraham here. He's just asking for clarification. God, give me a sign. Have you ever asked the Lord for a sign? Lord, just, just give me a sign that I'm on track. Have you ever had a question like that? Well, this strange ritual is that sign. You see, in Abram's time and for centuries after, there was no firmer guarantee than a covenant. In Hebrew, the word here literally means to cut a covenant. The act of dividing animals and walking between rows of their severed parts was an ancient form of contractual agreement. And we have many examples of it uh, from ancient history, extra-biblical evidence of royal land grants between two kings literally cutting a deal. Maybe that's where we get that phrase. Two people, two businesses, even two nations. It was pretty much the same procedure. A sacrificial animal was brought and cut in two, and the pieces were laid aside And each party would pass between the rows, thus cutting the covenant. Now, two things were going on in this ritual. First, both parties were saying, this covenant is binding. By cutting this covenant, we are now in a blood bond. We are bonded together like uh, like, uh, blood relatives. Think about on the playground when you might scratch your hand to get a little blood, and you you put your hands together with a friend, and you say, we're going to be best friends forever. It's that kind of idea, but the stakes are quite a bit bigger. The second, walking between the two rows, the parties were both saying, if I transgress the terms of this covenant, may my blood flow like these dead animals. If I break the covenant, may I wind up like these dead animals in my own blood on the ground. So all that gore was understood to be the most secure form of assurance in ancient times, a pledge of honor sealed by blood. Now, go back to that night, and Abram asks, God, how can I know I will possess the land? What, what assurance can you grant me? And what an answer the Lord gives. The Lord gives Abram an answer that he can understand. 
After all the preparation, the driving way of vultures, uh, Abram, it says, falls into a deep sleep. It literally says, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. What do you suppose is going through Abram's mind during that great darkness? Then the Lord says to him, I want you to know a few things for certain, Abram. And he goes on to not only foretell, but foreordain the plans that God has for his children. Then we come to verse 17. Let's look there. I want you to look at this closely of what happens. God's preparing Abram for this night, something that he can understand. But look closely. It says, Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, what does smoke and fire represent throughout Scripture? Does that ring any bells for you? Smoke and fire throughout Scripture represents the presence of the living God. God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. At Mount Sinai, the mountain was covered with a great cloud, the, the presence of of God and God led the children of Israel with a, a pillar of fire and smoke. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the, the living God, comes as flames of fire descending and resting on the heads of all of the disciples. Fire and smoke represent the presence of God. And so what we have here is the living God passing between these carcasses, cutting a covenant with a human being. His word should have been enough, but the Lord of the universe condescends to this human's needs and customs in order to build up his faith. What a picture of God's love, accommodating graciously the needs of his children. Can you think of a time in your walk with the Lord when you needed a sign and God made a, some sort of accommodation, something that you could understand. Can you think of a time like that? Maybe this morning, you'll have that sign. Maybe when we come to the table, this will be the very sign that you've been waiting for. I pray it is. Now, I want you to notice something else about this passage, looking closely at it. It's very, very significant. Look closely and notice who passes between the rows. Do you see? Only God's presence, only God passes through the rows. Abram is only an observer. He doesn't pass through. He's just watching the scene. God is saying, in effect, this covenant hinges on me and me alone. I am responsible for fulfilling it, God says. I am its guarantor. <clears throat> God unilaterally sets the terms and the conditions of the covenant and enters a blood-binding relationship with Abram and his descendants, and God alone assumes all of the risk. Think about contracts that you sign and the risk that you're signing away. You're signing away uh, your, your kid's college education if you don't fulfill this, or you're signing away your house or your car. Here God assumes all of the risk. The Lord said, Abram, I am your shield. 
I am your very great reward. And now God demonstrates how far God will go. God's saying, if I don't keep this promise, may it be done to me what was done to these animals. God lays his reputation on the line and says to Abram, if this covenant is not fulfilled, God will spill his own blood. Nothing of Abram guarantees the covenant. Its success or failure is beyond him. Only God initiates it and only God guarantees it. But Abram has a part, doesn't he? What's Abram's part? Do you remember from last week? What's the one claim that God makes on Abram that he must do? Believe. Trust. Walk by faith. That is Abram's role. He's observing the scene. But there's no more commitment than God has already asked of him. Just believe me, Abram. Say yes to me. Now, in Genesis 17, we'll look there in a few weeks, uh, uh, God renews the covenant with Abram by the giving of the sign of circumcision. Unfortunately, the Israelites will distort the purpose of circumcision. We have to wait till the Apostle Paul comes to clarify that Abram had faith before the covenant was cut by God and before the sign of circumcision was given. That circumcision doesn't add to, it's only a confirmation of that sign, sealed, and delivered covenant. Friends, saints in the Old Testament days were saved the same way they were in the New Testament days, the same way we are today. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. It's the same in the Old Testament, same in the New Testament, same today. But what we discover here that's so amazing is that the God of the universe condescends to this human's need and makes a blood-binding covenant with him. Now, God's promise was far more than physical land, and we could spend some time talking about the aspects of the physical land, but God's promise is far more than that. What is God saying here? God is saying, I am your God. I am with you. If your faith comes under attack from the vultures, I, the living God, will deal with them. I will deal with your enemies. There are other covenants in the Old Testament, but all of them serve to amplify this covenant with Abram. And so we have the Mosaic covenant, the covenant God made with Moses and the giving of the law. The law simply helps us to know in concrete ways, how do we live out this faith that we're called to, to live? How do we trust God in day-to-day choices and decisions and life? The Davidic covenant focuses on the divine side. It establishes that David and his descendants are the rightful kings of Judah by whom the Messiah will one day come. All of these covenants that we can look at and that Pastor Andy is looking at in his Sunday morning class serve to amplify this first covenant. And then we get to the book of Jeremiah. And I invite you to look there. Jeremiah 31 many, many centuries later, where God speaks through his prophet, Jeremiah, of yet another 
covenant, an amplification of the first, but something new is going to come. And he says these words in Jeremiah 31, verses 33 to 34. He says, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, this intimate knowing of God. For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What an incredible promise that God makes to his people, to you, to me, that we could know him in this intimate way. In his seminal book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer quotes the famous Puritan, uh, Thomas Brooks, speaking these words here. He says, uh, in, in God's mind, he says, You shall have as true an interest in all of my attributes for your good as they are mine for my glory. The grace, my grace, saith God, shall be yours to pardon you. My power shall be yours to protect you. My wisdom shall be yours to direct you. My goodness shall be yours to relieve you. My mercy shall be yours to supply you. My glory shall be yours to crown you. This is the promise, that you will know me in such an intimate way that all that God is, all of God's attributes, will be accessible to you. It's an incredible promise. But there was no cutting of a covenant. No confirmation. No assurance. And so for centuries, the people of God cried out, How long, O Lord? How long will we wait until this covenant is confirmed? They said, Lord, give us a sign that beyond all the headlines that spell out doom and gloom, that you are still in control. Lord, give us a sign that all of our seeking to know you is not in vain. Lord, give us a sign that my broken heart will be mended and, and healed. And you could say these promises for yourself. Lord, give me a sign that I will be changed and that I am being changed, conformed in the likeness of Christ. Give me a sign, Lord, that you've got my back. Give me a sign, Lord, a sign that when I'm afraid and fear I've lost my way, that you are still with me. And then, in A.D. 33, at the Passover dinner, a man like no other man gathered with his friends, gave thanks to his father, took a cup of wine, and said, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. And then the next day, that very man hung on a Roman cross and his blood poured out onto the ground. And he cried out, it is finished. Could it be that that is the terrible image that Abram dreamt about that night? Jesus kept the Father's promise, the promise to Abraham 2,000 years ago. God incarnate cut the new covenant by his flesh and blood so that we could know life. There is 
no greater sign. Walk in the footsteps of Abraham's faith, and it will lead you to the foot of the cross, to the feet of the promise keeper. How can you know for sure? Come and listen to what he has done. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. bread.